Hey everyone, my name is Yaro, and you're listening to the DIY Small Business Podcast. Thank you so much for joining me after a little break, which was quite spontaneous. I took last week off to rest and retreat and process a little bit. I don't feel like I've done anything near enough processing for 2020. I just read a book and had a nap and scratched the surface a bit, but it still felt good and important. And even though I felt a bit restless and anxious about moving out of lockdown, it was needed and I want more rest. So I don't know, just putting that out there in the universe. I'm excited about today's conversation. I spoke to the wonderful Kate Litter about breaking free from productivity culture. And I really hope that if you're sitting with these questions as well about what is good enough, what does rest mean, where next, that you are also getting something out of this conversation. I also really want to say that I'm feeling so honored and privileged and lucky to be surrounded by other small businesses right now who are being so brave and so courageous and flexible and creative and also really honoring their need to rest and have time to adjust as well. It's just, yeah, it feels really good that we're here for each other and I'm grateful for you listening as well. We spoke about many different things such as living with chronic pain and finding softness around limitations. We also spoke about harmful expectations and the scarcity mindset we often find in academia, about valuing invisible labor, our journey with pricing and accessibility and many other things. So I really hope that you'll get something out of this. Kate also emailed me a few weeks back. So we recorded this in April. Uh, that is important to say. I feel like things are moving so fast at the moment. And yeah, we, we recorded this kind of really in the, in the first wave of shock, I would say. And a little while back, Kate asked me to add a little bit to what she said which I really appreciate and will read to you in her own voice. Uh, words. I can't make her voice, I'm sorry. <laughs> in her own words, she said, I've been reflecting on what it means to rest, to honor one's personal resources, to be productive and how, to access, and how access to these acts is influenced by structural racism. I'm witnessing many of my white friends and colleagues, myself included, finally showing up to protest in solidarity and with BIPOC folks in new ways after a loud social crest demanded that we address our complicity in the white supremacy. Many people are exhausted, burned out, and overwhelmed. Things that previously would have prescribed prioritization or time management to address, yet that recommendation does not acknowledge the ways in, in which BIPOC folks' labor has been systematically under and unvalued for centuries. See the hashtag Black in the Ivory Tower for an example of this in contemporary academia. I hope that as you listen to our episode that you join me in reimagining the tools and suggestions that I share in an effort to dismantle white supremacy through how we conceive of our and others' labors to care for ourselves and one another and to prioritize the voices of BIPOC folks. Mm, yes, thank you Kate, I want to second that and I'm grateful that we added that to the episode. I don't have many um, announcements to make myself before I let you go and listen to this. I am running a free um, summer series of workshops. The first one 
has been on pricing and um, accessibility and economic justice, which was such great fun, amazing conversations have had been at. And you can get the recording. And then the next one is about building community media um, for change and also for businesses, which obviously can be the same thing. But I'm going to talk about podcasting, writing, blogging, zine making, things that are kind of happening outside of social media and the confines of those kinds of platforms, which, you know, which can be great, but also complicated stuff. And I want to share tools to share our work more widely and really build solidarity and community. And then in August, I'm running a workshop on no bullshit money mindset work because obviously... Yeah, this, this year is bringing up a lot of stuff. It's really difficult for many of us, this deep uncertainty. There's also a lot of bullshit in the money mindset industry, let's be real. And I think there are really valuable, useful things that we can do for ourselves and each other to look at our relationship with money and to try to set up set ourselves up in a way that is as resilient as we can be under capitalism. So if you want to join those conversations or watch the replays, please sign up. I'll link to that in the show notes. And I would love to have you. I'm also open to mentoring clients. And later in the summer, I could do a web design project or two. If you're interested, just reach out and we'll have a chat. Okay, I'll let you listen now. Thank you so much. And thank you so much also to Kate. Hey, everyone. <laughs> this is my second start, and I just had a little giggle because I said, oh, this has really not happened in a long time, and I'm quite pleased. But anyway, I am really excited for my guest today. I'm speaking to Kate Litter, who's a productivity coach and runs a project called The Tending Year, and has just so much to say about the beauty and value of going slow and really thinking about how we want to spend our time and energy in our days and how we want to structure the way that we show up and work so as you know those are things that are very close to my heart and I'm always thinking about really making things easier like that's super super important to me so yeah I'm just really excited to speak to Kate and to see what we can chat about and tangle and untangle together Kate thank you so much for being here Thank you. I'm really looking forward to this. And thank you for that beautiful intro. <laughs> I would love to start by asking you where you are in the world right now, what nature is like around you. Cool. So I'm in Boston, Massachusetts, so a little outside of Boston, Massachusetts, and spring is starting. And um, obviously, a lot of people are in quarantine. So it's a little quiet outside. But I'm very, very excited that we've set up a bird feeder and <laughs> it's right outside the kitchen so the cats can watch it. So as the blooms are starting on the rose bushes here, there's also a lot of birds. And I've also started feeding the squirrels so that they'll not eat from the bird feeder. <laughs> so I'm, that's my like main spring excitement right now. That's so beautiful. I hear from people at the moment all the time little things like oh my gosh I'm so glad I put these you know I planted the seeds or I'm so glad I have a garden now it's really kind of um yeah coming back to little things isn't it it is yeah my partner and I moved into this apartment in September so this is our first spring and I'm also very excited about the rose bushes that were already here when we moved in so seeing all the flowers starting to bloom is very cool 
Mm -hmm. Yeah, I can imagine. Can you tell us a little bit more about your work and how you came to do it? Yes. So um, my work, I am a productivity coach and also researcher, blogger, author. And um, I came to this because, um, you know, many people, I think, come to reevaluate their productivity when they, you know, face some sort of obstacle. And for me, in 2017, I developed uh, chronic pain. And, you know, later on, around 2018, I realized I had fatigue and chronic illness. Um, since then, you know, I've treated my chronic pain. It's still there. Um, in January, I fell down the stairs and fractured my tailbone, so it came back. Uh, but, you know, and have had a good, you know, set of doctors who've helped me to discover that I have a uh, kind of like Borrelia that's similar to Lyme. So I have a treatment protocol, but I experienced fatigue and I couldn't sit for long periods of time, which meant I couldn't work all the time. And, um, you know, I'm someone who had turned to work as a distraction and as a way to, uh, you know, have a sense of self and, you know, really associated my pride or my sense of worth with my work and my productivity. So in 2017, I really had to address that. And it was a very emotional experience for me to have to relinquish control of work and find other ways to, um, you know, feel present and practice not, you know, just distracting with labor. And from that, I, um, you know, started listening to self-development podcasts and productivity podcasts and found a great fascination and began to do personal practice, which I documented on a blog, which I'm sure we'll talk about later, and um, found that I was just amazed both with the tools I was finding that literally were helping me to work efficiently and to work, you know, less and to prioritize, but also that my whole conception of labor was shifting in terms of valuing, you know, taking care of my body over just producing. Um, and it was a, a huge shift. It felt like a very political shift for me as well, that once I started practicing that for myself, I really wanted to guide other people to shift their perception and, you know, create a scaffold so that they could shift their, um, the way that they labored and the way that they rested. Um, and that was, you know, something that I did through blogging my own experience and then eventually uh, starting to coach other people. So I've always been passionate about making productivity more accessible um, and also really kind of turning it on its head and saying it's not about just doing more and more. It's really about being intentional. And that's, you know, I use the term slow ductivity to describe the coaching and the research that I do because it's really like productivity through the lens of mindfulness, intention, you know, slow living, um, rest is incredibly important. So those are the things that I'm very passionate about, both for my own practice, but also guiding other people to institute that in their own practices. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's so beautiful. Thank you for sharing that backstory. I think uh, <clears throat> I've seen in myself that sometimes or yeah, especially in my 20s when I was so frustrated and kind of first really conceptualizing and waking up to the ways in which capitalism has 
had you know really impacted my sense of self-worth around productivity and how I could show up as a worker and what that meant about me and I think there was a time where I was then completely rejecting kind of any ideas or approaches around productivity because I wanted to do the exact opposite and I really really love and appreciate that you found this beautiful gentle and really like curious way of guiding people to explore what it would mean to think about how we spend our time and energy kind of away from these pressures because I think even if we don't want to kind of extract as much productivity and labor out of our bodies there's still a sense of kind of wanting a really um yeah like wanting to feel like we're contributing in a way that's like authentic and sustainable and regenerative and that's aligned with our values and our creativity so I think you're speaking to something that's really important thank you thank you of course um I'm also <clears throat> wondering you you touched on this a little bit and I think it's really big for us as people sometimes you know and we all have our own story around that but to to be someone who's quite identified with their work and then suddenly be in an experience where that's really shifting and we can't rely on our bodies to kind of be as, as available as they were to show up for the work in the way that we used to um that's quite big right i think there's big identity shifts that come with that and i wondered if you can speak to that a little bit more about what that's been like for you sure absolutely i think that for me as an academic i'm finishing my doctoral degree right now um this was a huge shock to my system in that way because in academia as a graduate student or even as a you know person who's like a, i'm not but a person who's like a junior faculty or on the tenure track like there is an expectation in academia that you do your normal level of work but then you also exceed that and there's a sense of scarcity and there's a sense of um competition and it can i've seen i've participated in this myself and i've seen colleagues and also just seen this perpetuated both by i mean just academia at large that we should always be doing more and more and more and when i could not do that and when i you know personally decided like no i will not you know work until 10 p.m no i will not force myself to you know sit or stand in a way that's uh, painful to me. It, it, I felt, um, I guess I felt like I was choosing to, you know, not participate in the same way. And uh, in doing that, I actually decided that I wanted to leave academia. You know, I thought I looked ahead and was like, oh, I, I don't imagine myself being able to put in the kind of labor that would be necessary to, for example, get tenure, like the, just literally the labor. And um, so making the decision to, you know, say, these are my boundaries, even if I don't see other people practicing them or honoring them, or I see people afraid to set similar boundaries around availability or physical, you know, presence with doing labor or, you know, mental or emotional labor, um, you know, that was a, that was an interesting decision. And since then, I have had other academics and many of my clients are academics as well, share with me that they appreciate that approach that I have that is like you should not or you can choose you know with the scaffolding you can put in place to not be participating in this you know workaholic uh culture um yeah so there's like there is a, a big shift in my identity identity of myself where I was like I'm 
leaving academia, I'm starting a business where I can work from home on my own hours. <laughs> if that makes sense. I, I don't know if you share, I mean, I know I've read your work, you know, I've just read your recent zine that you sent out. And so mm-hmm. I assume that you like, do you share that, like the, that experience as well when you were shifting from mm-hmm. the labor you were doing towards working for yourself? Yeah, definitely. I think, um, yeah, that's been big. I've I've never intended to be in academia, but I have a lot of friends who are. And uh, yeah, so so thank you so much for sharing that story that's relatable. And um, I think there's definitely been, yeah, moments of anxiety and rethinking so much of the ways that I was doing things when I shifted. I was working um, in startup companies since I was 20. Um, so I was working full time and studying full time in my early 20s. I did a distance degree um, because I was really scared of going into debt for my studies. I was the first person in my family to go to university and I could have had access to a loan in Germany, but I just didn't have the confidence. So I was choosing to work full time and then studying in the evening and weekends. And that did not work, of course. And I'm so grateful every day now that I've found better ways of doing things that work for myself in the long term. But it's still also an exploration and it's never perfect and it has its own challenges as well, I think. But like we said before we started recording, I think especially right now, I'm so deeply grateful to be working from home really every single day and feel very lucky. Yeah. Oh, yes, absolutely. Thank you for sharing that. And I echo that we were talking about how I'm, I've always wanted to exclusively work from home. And it's phenomenal to be able to (laughs) get up and stretch my body or, you know, like go get a snack or walk outside like these things that are very nourishing for my body working from home is like lessened my pain levels. It's very good for me. And I'm very fortunate to be able to do it right now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, me too. What has, been, has it been like for you to start a business? And do you feel like, like, I'm especially interested, I guess, in like the, the transition or the, in the way that we unfurl almost when we, we begin that journey and we look around us and see, and, you know, how could I do this? How is this different? What has surprised you in that process or what has felt exciting or challenging? For me, uh, starting a business was a slow, drawn-out process uh, because, like I said, I I knew I wanted to finish my degree. Um, I love my research. I wanted to finish the doctoral degree. So, you know, a few years ago, I, you know, in 2017, when I was doing, beginning my research into personal development and productivity and time management, those things, I said, if I can write this blog for a year, publish, you know, every week on the blog. And if I can stick with it, then I'm allow, I will allow myself to completely shift and become a coach and an author, you know, which my dream, my entire life has always been to be an author. I think that's many people's dreams. So um, I just in that in 2017 was like, you have a year to practice. And then like, you, you know, continue to make blog posts. So I created a lot of content. And I, I, you know, was doing some coaching on the side, but didn't, you know, until that was done, really say, okay, here, I'm, I'm accepting clients, paying clients for coaching. And, you know, even then saying like, well, when I finish my dissertation, then I can finally write this book I'm dreaming to write. So a business, growing my business has been very like, looking like a year ahead or like two years ahead and saying, oh, I can't wait to get to that point. 
and like having these big goals that I'm very excited about, um, which has been really fun, but it sometimes I do feel a little petulant and I'm like, ugh, I just want to write that book now. <laughs> I just want to like, you know, have a course now. I just want to do these things now. And um, so it's been a good practice and patience for me because I, you know, to walk my own talk, I want to be very, you know, prioritize certain, not just do, rather, I, I do want to prioritize and I do not want to be doing like seven different things and stressing myself out. Does that make sense? Totally makes sense. And I think you're speaking to so many things that are just really tempting, especially with online businesses, because everything is, in theory, immediately available and could be done right away, right? Like we could have a new course out next week or we could self-publish a book. And yeah, we have to be really discerning and think about what the right pace for is as at any given point in time. Absolutely. Yeah, the pacing has been, it's been like a beautiful practice for me as well to have something to really look forward to mm -hmm. and to also, you know, have something to commit to and come back to. Like, for example, I wrote a weekly blog post every week for two years. Mm -hmm. And like, that was a wonderful, beautiful practice. I have so much content now. And then I decided to, you know, shift from that to a newsletter twice a month instead you know, and I like that, but I'm very excited to shift to really writing, you know, a book. So it's, the shifts have been, you know, a very beautiful experience as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I love that you're describing that because a lot of people in my audience, I think, are nervous around commitment and around changing their minds. And I think it's really important to name sometimes, especially for people that are a, a few years further in, maybe not just at the very beginning, that it's okay and, and things still work out when you change your mind. I did very, very many things different in the beginning of my business. And I think I saw those, those experiments really like almost like a playing field to test the waters. And I think it's good to recognize in ourselves that we are really doing in many ways something that hasn't been around very much. It's not like the internet has been here for 80 years and, you know, it's all been done before. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> in, yeah. In so many ways, it's really, it's really in its infancy still. And we're still learning about how we respond to it, what it means to have a smartphone, what it means to spend all this time on screens and how we want to utilize that in a way that's empowering rather than depleting. And honestly, most of the time, I'm still really, really unsure about these questions, but want to be in the inquiry, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. That's interesting. Hearing you say that makes me think of how, I mean, I love working with coaches. I've worked with many coaches before and, you know, I love reading blogs and books and audiobooks. I love, I love learning. It's my favorite thing, you know? Um, And I sometimes forget that not everyone shares that uh, preference. Like not everyone is like, Oh, I can't wait to go and learn more about, take a course about, you know, whatever, mailing lists, you know, mm -hmm. like it's, so it's interesting, like when I'm speaking with other people or with my colleagues or with you around this, how we share like a common, um, a common experience in terms of like, well, you, you know, create this content, you learn these things. And, you know, I have some, one of my best friends is like, I would never work with a coach. Why would I work with someone when I can <laughs> teach myself? You know, and that's something you mentioned in your zine recently, but like, why would I, like, I don't know, maybe I'm going a little off topic here, but it, it is often interesting for me and a smart reality check to be reminded that like, this is not, uh, 
my like my offerings are not for everybody, even mm-hmm. though I like totally geek out about it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's that's really interesting and something that I've also been wondering how sometimes I think especially on Instagram, we are in this little echo chamber that makes us feel like we are definitely in a, in a world where most people think the way we do when they're really not. Like I can totally relate to what you just said about learning. I feel the same. Like I could, gosh, like I could, I want to learn so many things. I'm so excited and I love taking classes, especially if I can do it from the comfort of my home. Um, and also I need to be careful about my intentions with taking those classes and how much I can actually really take in and, I think on the internet, I'm pretty much surrounded by people who feel the same, but yeah, you're probably right. You know, not everyone has that particular priority and that's totally fine as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I would love to know a little bit more when you're working with people, what does that look like and how are you helping people kind of rethink their own productivity and how how it's related to their worth and also help them kind of structure their time and make plans for what they want to do? For me, I think that this is, I mean, there's a few main things for this. Usually the first thing that I want to do is, um, or that I do is, you know, speaking with clients is, you know, talking about and wondering what kind of labor they're doing. And I do, you know, I'm a very vocal supporter of valuing like invisible labors that we think like, oh, I just have to do this and valuing labors that are. Uh, you know, like, I don't know, doing, doing your laundry, cooking, things that are expending like personal resources of like energy, focus, emotions, things like that. So a lot of um, asking clients to shift their perspective to value all of the labors that they're practicing that are not just, you know, I'm writing an email or I'm creating a product um, so that we can, you know, in shifting that are able to honor that there is a limited amount of energy focused time that people have to spend. Um, so that's one thing that's very important to me. And um, that helps us to measure the kind of labor that people are spending on things differently. So that may, might mean, you know, like, well, one day you don't work on your job because you have to go grocery shopping, especially right now. Like when people are like very, it's very stressful to go grocery shopping. Like, um, so like that labor is so big and as important, if not more important than writing your, you know, email or your chapter. So that's labor, valuing labor is essential for me. Um, and along with that, like getting really clear on what people's intentions on goals are, because I, I, something that breaks my heart is when people think that they're not, um, doing well enough or they're like not achieving their goals when often they're not explicitly clear on what they want to do. So I often stress making actionable and achievable goals. So actionable being what are you specifically wanting to do in which order, breaking things into steps and then achievable being realistic around like, Oh, I can accomplish this in an hour or today. It makes sense checking in with my body. I have the energy or spoons to do this amount of labor. So if you are approaching your work with that intention and that awareness, you can complete your tasks and say, wow, I did a really good job. I'm really proud of myself. Instead of saying, oh, I'll never accomplish this. I'm not good enough. Those sort of, that that negative self-talk. So having explicit, clear, reasonable goals for yourself and, you know, allowing yourself to accomplish those and uh, congratulate yourself. 
another thing that I really encourage is for people to take breaks. Um, I think we don't, I think many people probably don't take enough breaks and it might be because there's a feeling of uh, scarcity. There's a feeling of like pressure. They want to accomplish things. Perhaps there's like a feeling of competition and um, you know, so encouraging people to take breaks is huge. And usually I do that through teaching people the Pomodoro method. Do you use the Pomodoro method? I don't, but I'm really curious if you want to say a few more words on that. Sure. Yeah. This is honestly, whenever I coach people in this, it's usually the thing that people are most, you get the, like, they get the most immediate uh, results on it and also just love it. I love it as well. It's, I use it all the time. So Pomodoro is a pulse and pause method. Um, so it means that you will work intentionally for 25 minutes on a goal that you have previously set. So say for me, it might be, I'm going to revise this paragraph in 25 minutes, something reasonable. And then you set a timer and you work uninterrupted for 25 minutes. So don't check email, um, you know, don't, uh, I don't know, go fix that book that's looking weird on the bookshelf, you know, and like focus. And then a timer goes off and then you take a five minute intentional break. And I really encourage clients and try to hold myself accountable to this to, you know, stand up, stretch, get a drink of water, look out the window, look away from a screen do some breathing exercises, and then you go back and do another Pomodoro, which is the 25 minutes of labor, and then five minutes of break. And in the traditional Pomodoro method, you would do that for four sets, and then you would take a longer 15 to 30 minute break. So you can shift the times however you want. Say you wanna do 15 minutes of labor and 10 minutes of break, or you know, 40 minutes of labor and 20 minutes of break. It really doesn't matter. You can shift it to what feels good for you and your body, but it allows you to focus and it allows you to, to say, oh, I checked something off. So I'll often tell clients who are working on a large long-term project to measure, you'll do four Pomodoros today instead of, you know, like I'm going to finish a chapter. So you can finish, you can track your progress and actually feel good about that to say, I have accomplished my goal. It was to work for four intentional 25 minute sessions. So Pomodoro is, um, it's very helpful for helping people to focus. It's very helpful for tracking your progress. Um, and it's helpful for making sure that you take breaks. And I recently wrote a blog post about how people can use Pomodoro to help, uh, navigate their technology use, especially like right now people are reading the news to find out things about COVID-19. So it's like, if you're feeling drawn to technology and news, you can say 25 minutes, I don't check tech, <laughs> you know? So you, I use Pomodoro to, you know, like go for like walk the dog. You can really use it for anything you want to focus, not be interrupted and then take breaks. Yeah, that's beautiful. Thank you. Um, I will definitely check that out. And I kind of can't believe that I haven't really before, you know, it's kind of been in the, in the field of my vision, I guess, in some ways, but I just haven't tried it before. Um, it does make a lot of sense. And I think it really, yeah, I think it makes working from home or just generally approaching something that is um, self-directed, um, much more gentle and approachable. Yeah, that's cool. I'm glad you like it. Yeah, there's lots of free apps. Like I use some free apps online for it. Um, you know, the person, it's called Pomodoro because the person who invented it used a tomato timer, like a kitchen timer. She <laughs> a tomato, so Pomodoro. 
Um, but yeah, it is, it's gentle and it's a good way for people to, uh, you know, the thing I love most about it, just to reiterate, is that, you know, people are valuing and saying tangibly, I have done, you know, a thing. I have done a Pomodoro. Good enough. I'm allowed to stop working. So it can help with, you know, putting boundaries around labor. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think this good enough piece is so important, right? And I think, yeah, just giving people permission to really find out what that means to them and to find their own definition. That's, uh, I think, so important because we really don't need any more, you know, people or voices or stories from the outside telling us what is good enough. We can just come up with our own little pacing with the Pomodoro and be like, yeah, that's what I wanted to do. And I did it. And that's great. And yeah, it's wonderful. Um, I wonder how you came up with the word the tending year. It feels like it's so beautifully tying everything together that you stand for and explore. Thank you. That's kind. So the tending year is the name of my blog, but now it's the name of my website. And um, I started this because I wanted, like I said, to hold myself accountable to, you know, practicing personal development and productivity tools for a year. And to do that, I knew that I would, you know, write a blog post and then like, say, for example, like mindful uh, consumption or, you know, time management, something like that, a theme for each week. And um, I would write about, you know, something each week and then update that. So I knew I wanted to theme it. And at first I was thinking, oh, maybe I'll theme it abundance. You know, that'll be my word for the year. And previously I had never had a word for the year. But abundance felt like a little bit too, like, um, a little bit too, like, got to put a smile on it. <laughs> you know, like, it felt a little too, like, you know, like, what even is abundance? You know, like, so instead, I really liked tending because tend, the word tend is, like, has a dual meaning. So it's both to tend to something, so to care for something like a plant or an animal or yourself, your body and to tend to do something. So like, what are your practices, your habits? And I love the idea of what happens when we blend those things together. So I spent a year focused on my own tending practices. And um, after I did it for a year, I loved it. And so I was like, oh, I'm doing it again. <laughs> so I did it again in my, uh, still on the tending year blog, but my word for last year was garden because I wanted to think of my life as a garden. Like what do I, what plants in my garden of my life need more attention or more tending to, or how can I nourish different things? And that allowed me to bring more, you know, art and music and beauty and things like that into my life. But yeah, I, I, I still love the word tending. I recently got the word tender, um, tattooed on my right hand so that whenever I'm writing, I see it whenever I'm like doing anything. It's like, I'm always on my hand remembering, you know, to be tender mm -hmm. and also to be a tender, a person who tends. Oh my gosh. That is one of mo the most beautiful double meanings I've ever heard. That's so cool. Thank you. Tell us about your tattoo now. That's great. Um, I really love how you're weaving like a sense of awe for life. Um, as you were speaking about gar gardening and art and these different things, I really felt like your work is so grounded and yet so open to weaving spiritual concepts in as well. And one of your blog posts that I really love was, um, wait, let me double check what it's called, how to cope with negative emotions without spiritual bypassing. I was like, yes. Oh, <laughs> yay. I'm so pleased to hear that. <laughs> 
<laughs> that is a really beautiful one. Do you maybe want to recap just a tiny bit of it for us? Sure. Yeah. I'm so glad you brought this up because I'm often confused with how so many, you know, uh, I mean, like I just listen to so many podcasts where people are like, I don't want to get too woo with this. And I'm like, please layer on the woo. <laughs> Let's get spiritual, you know? <laughs> so I, I just crave that. I'm a very spiritual person and I, I weave it into my blog, you know, and into my practice. So thinking about, you know, like, uh, to allow ourselves to cope with things without, you know, saying spiritual bypassing, like we don't have to say like, well, you know, everything happens for a reason or, you know, the reason that this is happening is because Mercury is in retrograde and like we don't have to, um, you know, we are allowed to accept that we feel, uh, you know, we are allowed to accept that our experiences may be negative. It may not, not just be like this, like love and light, like we were talking about before. So we don't have to just spiritually, you know, come up with some sort of reason for why things are happening. Um, as a way to sort of, uh, we can gaslight ourselves, I think, when we do that. And we can, you know, erase the fact that there are like very real, like s systemic things that are affecting people's lived experiences and material experiences. So I'm very glad that that is the blog post that you mentioned, because, you know, not many people often do talk to me about the spiritual practice that, you know, imbues my, my work and my life. So thank you. Yeah, you're welcome. Um, yeah, I just recommend anyone who's interested to check it out as well. We can link it in the show notes if that's okay. Sure, yeah. Yeah, it's a, it's a really great one. Um, <clears throat> whew, we have shared so many things and touched on, yeah, really beautiful things that I want everyone to know. There's, there's one thing that's on my mind as well, and this could technically be a really big question, so I just want to give you permission to also keep it small and doable because Oh my gosh, it's just such a wild thing, time that we're in. Um, but I'm wondering what you're wishing for us as a collective or community of small business owners. And I, you know, I think I just want to be clear that I'm not asking this in the direction of this pandemic has happened for a reason and it's, it's going to change the way we all work. And this is the time to figure out exactly and have a vision for what that's going to look like because I think that's just impossible. But I just wonder kind of what you're wishing for at the moment and what feels good and exciting and what would you like people that are maybe interested in starting a business or they're just at the beginning to know more about? Sure. That's a beautiful question. It is big, but it's a good question that I'm glad to be thinking about. I think that the first thing that comes to my mind is thinking of like prioritizing care for ourselves and care for others, care for our community and prioritizing our, um, you know, just like, uh, you know, physical, emotional, mental, spiritual uh, sense of grounding. So honoring that and along with that, like respecting and celebrating people's boundaries around their labor. So like, I would be thrilled to see other, you know, small business owners like being, uh, you know, very clear around like, this is what I'm able to do. This is, you know, what I'm in need of, like, can people help to support me right now? Um, I think that that sounds very important and like uh, valuing, I, I guess, yeah, like valuing the labor that we are doing right now. And I think even more than just like valuing my own labor, because I feel like with my productivity practices, like I'm, I'm very well researched in this stuff. I know how to set boundaries around my own labor and output, but like encouraging other folks to do that as well, to like value like 
you were doing emotional labor as well as, you know, like trying to figure out if you want to even be selling things right now, like honoring the fact that that is an emotional process. I just released a new um, coaching offering and it was a bit like I spent weeks thinking about what to price it, like just thinking about like, how do we, how do we even, um, you know, sell right now? Whereas at the same time, I'm like, all of my friends, I want you to sell your things because I want you to have money because I want you to, you know, feel sustained. So it's um, honoring that we are, you know, emotionally and, you know, mentally, spiritually laboring right now. And I really, yeah, just prioritizing care for ourselves and one another right now. It's, it's very messy. It's very sensitive. I would love if I could hold space for, you know, my friends and colleagues and allow them to uh, have a full experience and feel comfortable doing that with me. Wow, that's really such a beautiful way of describing it. I feel like those are things that I've been lingering with, if, if that's an expression, but I haven't mm -hmm. been able to express it in that way, especially the piece around yeah, it really being messy and sensitive and holding space or supporting people in being in the full experience of it and acknowledging all these different kinds of labor that are associated just with being alive in these times, let alone adding things to that, like launching something or, you know, <laughs> creating something new. It, it is really big. Yeah, you're totally right. And I'm so glad that you're talking about that. Thank you. And I think like the one thing I would want, I want to add too is like, mm -hmm. um, I recently had a, a newsletter, my newsletter is called the tending letter. And um, <laughs> I recently had a tending letter about how sharing with my readers about how the first couple or like the first week I spent at home, I just sort of like reverted back to workaholic tendencies and was just hiding in work because I did not know how to uh, cope with and control the fact that things were just so uh, frightening right now. Mm -hmm. And so acknowledging that there, we may feel, um, you know, a desire to turn towards our work as a coping mechanism. And while everyone should use whatever coping mechanism is, you know, safe and works for them right now, you know, like no judgment with that. Uh, mm -hmm. But um, like encouraging us to think critically about our relationship to our labor right now and to our work right now, because I could see, and I know personally for me, like that was one of the first things that I did as a coping mechanism was like, I need to work. And I sort of regressed back into, um, you know, where I was, uh, where I had been before, where work was a, uh, just a way to numb out. Mm -hmm. So that, that's something to also think about as well as I, I would want people to practice like for me I'm like no you're not going to work you're going to, I'm taking an intro to classical music class you know like like go take your classical music class or go like I just got watercolors go wa do watercolors or you know like go garden so like recognizing our relationship with our labor right now and it's mm -hmm. it's hard I want to compassionately witness that this is difficult for many people um and that everyone's experience is different I'm able to you know, work from home right now. My partner has a job, you know, like everyone's uh, experiences are different. I just want, I want to give everybody a hug and just hold space for them <laughs> to share how they feel. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Yes. And also for everyone to really have choices around this. Like there's just so many people out there in precarious working situations on zero hour contracts or 
Oh, yeah, and I just, yeah, it just really my heart breaks for, for so many people that are um, really in deep crisis and panic right now and don't even have um, the option to think about those things. It makes me feel really passionate about a universal basic income, and I really hope that that's something that maybe will be drawn more into focus um, as we move through this. But yeah, just to also to mirror back, I totally relate to that. I've also had moments in the beginning where I just, yeah, just kind of was hiding in work, like you were saying, um, really tried to stay on top of things. And it it's still like this weird dance of going in and out of holding things pretty loosely and showing up for things that feel good right now, like this conversation, I've been really looking forward to and still really wanted to do it because they're so often really nourishing. This one really is. And, um, you know, it feels good to stay connected to the creative process in some way, I think. And at the same time, I've really been noticing that I'm sleeping like crazy at the moment just to, just to process all that's happening. And I feel often that I'm napping and I wake up even more tired than when I fell asleep. And it just almost feels like the rest is never enough. Um, so yeah, that's really real, isn't it? Yeah. I witnessed that. I've been sleeping a lot more as well. Like, mm -hmm. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Is there anything else that you would like to share before we close? I don't know. I'm very pleased that in this conversation, we've been able to talk about productivity, not just in terms of, you know, like uh, output and, and tools, which are wonderful and helpful, but really in terms of, you know, presence and, uh, you know, intentionality and slowing down. That's been very nice. That's a very important part of my work as a coach and researcher. So it's been nice to chat about that. Mm -hmm. I really, really love talking to you too. Um, there's been so many beautiful nuggets that I'm really excited to share and that I think also I will sit with more myself. Um, yeah, because it's like a, a really continuous ongoing journey of taking it in and implementing and then um, I like thinking of it as this spiral journey where um, there's an expression called, I think it's called um, next level, next devil, something mm, like that. Cool. <laughs> yeah. Um, it's just about, you know, like encountering a concept once, but then um, in times like these or in different circumstances at a different time in our lives, really needing the same concept and challenge again and grounding deeper into these practices um, feels really great. So thank you so much for sharing everything that you've shared. And I would love to point people your way as well. Can you let us know what you're currently offering and where people can find you? Sure. Thank you. So um, uh, right now I've got two coaching offerings. So the first, this is a thing I've been doing for a while. It's success and accountability coaching. And that um, I only take around four to five clients a month on that but it's a, you know, uh, developed coaching experience where uh, I have sessions and then follow up with and help uh, my clients to stay accountable to deadlines and goals that we come up with together. Um, and uh, the second thing I'm offering, which I just recently released, is a single session slowed activity coaching. So this is a, you know, hour long, one-on-one uh, -on -one, uh virtual coaching session that we'll have where we meet, we work on one to two things. And then um, at the end of our session, you go off and, you know, you know, continue working on those on your own. So the, that one's at a lower price point. Um, 
So you can find me at thetendingyear.com. Um, also, my Instagram is the tending year. I have a Facebook. Uh, I post on Instagram, you know, pretty regularly. But uh, I also have a mailing list where I send out a newsletter every two weeks. So this is, I really like the newsletters. They're a little different from the blogs and that they're a little bit more personal. And I'm sharing, you know, stories and, you know, things that I'm reading, practices I'm doing. Uh, yeah. So newsletter, coaching, blog. Mm -hmm. social media mm -hmm. thank you so much and we'll link to that in the show notes as well so if people didn't catch it then it will definitely all be there thank you so so much it was really beautiful to talk thank to you, you. <laughs> this was this is such a beautiful part of my day thank you so much thank you